Today's in-flight entertainment is brought to you by the Royal Flying Doctor Service, which has helped my family and many families across Australia. But did you know that it is more than an emergency aeromedical service? They provide dental, mental health and GP services in regional, rural and remote locations. If you wish to support the RFDS and many Australian families, you can donate in the link in our show notes. Happy first day of winter, everyone. Well, I guess I suppose when you're listening to this, it is going to be the second day, but it is absolutely stunning flying conditions here up in the north. So I hope you are being blessed with wonderful conditions wherever you are around Oz or the world. I know we've got some listeners from around the world, so that is really, really super cool. And speaking of something really, really super cool, that brings me in to introduce our guest today. We've got Millie in from Wing Threads and shout out to Lani, who actually met Millie at the Donington Air Park and said, hey, you really need to reach out to this girl. She's got a really, really cool story. So I did. And then two days later, she's here in the studio recording with us. She's got a wonderful story about how she follows shorebirds around Oz and studies their behaviours. So it is really, really interesting. I was really intrigued. I could ask her a million and one questions. And I'm sure you guys will will have some burning questions by the end of the episode as well. But hopefully we can dive into a little bit today and yeah just talk about her adventure it is really really inspiring and I hope you enjoy ladies and gentlemen welcome aboard aviatrix airwaves please do not turn off your electrical equipment which you are listening to this podcast on and instead just sit back relax and enjoy as we are about to take off into this episode Right, is that I want to start? All right, you guys are all, I think, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're all good. You're all good. I'm gonna cool. jump out. I got a couple of things to do, but Perfect. I'll so I'll be next door. But you're you got the show. No worries. Recording. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Camera's all good. We look we look like we're sitting pretty. <laughs> Millie, thank you so much for coming in the studio today. I know like we're just sitting here having a casual chat today, but for me to have someone like you in the studio sitting down and talking about your journey in aviation and as a zoologist, it is really, really special to me and I just, I honestly pinch myself that I get to do this as a job and share stories like you and I just, yeah, I feel very, very grateful. So thank you so much for coming in. Oh, my pleasure, Georgie. Thanks for inviting me. No, and how long, oh, we do have yeah. flight radar going over first, straight <laughs> off the bat. Should we get you kick-started with flight radar? Sure, yeah, let's do it. What's your first guess? Oh, okay, I'm going to guess uh, they're going to Brisbane. Brisbane, do you know what airline? Oh. Yeah, we get right into it. Okay, how about Alliance? Oh, Alliance, okay, I'm going to go... We just had Jetstar, so I'm going to go <laughs> Virgin to Brisbane as well. Yeah. Am I getting it up, Rob, or are you? Probably two sacks. Oh. <laughs> You're on it? Okay. Do you have a guess, Robbie? Mm, I'll tell you in a sec. <laughs> He's going to cheat. Oh. Mm. Mm. I can't find it. It's not even on there. Oh. Let me look. You having a boy look today, Robbie? Yeah, probably. Let me look. Unless it's just landed, but that's okay. You know what? You're actually right. I can't find it either. 
There we go. Well, we're all right then. One point to all of us for Flight <laughs> Radar. Perfect. So, Millie, tell us tell us about Millie. Yeah, sure. Tell us about your journey and wing threads. Yep. Uh, so, as you said, my background's in zoology mm-hmm. um, and I'm also a pilot. And my background's also in the arts. And, mm-hmm. and they're the three things I bring together in this project. It's called Wing Threads, uh, Flight Around Oz. And mm-hmm. it's really about uh, highlighting the importance of our eco, our wetland ecosystems and mm-hmm. how and why we should protect them through the amazing journeys of migratory shorebirds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how did you kind of get into it? What sparked your interest? Was there always a love of flying? Was it always a love of zoology? How did how did wing threads kind of come about? Yeah, the birds came first. The birds came first, <laughs> right. Bird was actually my first word. So really? Yeah, oh, it's pretty there you cool. go. And I know my new little baby cousin as well, that was her first word as well. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, so I got into birds as a kid, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get into migratory shorebirds until I was studying zoology at Mm -hmm. Melbourne Uni. And I started volunteering with the Victorian Wader Studies Group. And uh, I was banding and flagging shorebirds Mm -hmm. in Victoria. And uh, just learning about these birds. And, you know, uh, these birds are migrating to the Arctic every year to breed. And then they fly back here again. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, like the redneck stint, which is the smallest species we have here in Australia, it's only the size of a sparrow and weighs about as much as a tim tam. Wow! And these little birds can fly five thousand k's in one Holy. go. Yeah, and the round trip up to the Arctic and back every year is about twenty five thousand kilometres. Mm-hmm. So when you're hearing stories like this, and uh, you know having those birds in your hand and seeing them up close, it's really hard not to be completely inspired and Mm -hmm. just in awe of what they're capable of doing so that's really the spark for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and then working in this field I also became aware that uh, several of the shorebird species are either critically endangered or endangered Mm -hmm. so some of the larger species like far eastern curlew Mm -hmm. have seen an 80 percent decline in their number in the past 30 years That's really huge for mm-hmm. a short period of time yeah. and the main reason for that is habitat loss. Okay. And these birds rely on wetland ecosystems for their survival. So they're feeding on uh, things that are buried in the sand and the mud in the wetlands to get very, very fat before they migrate. That's what they do. They get fat and burn that fat as fuel so they can cool. have the energy to flap their wings those long distances. Mm-hmm. So mud flats and... Uh, swamps are often not seen as very appealing <laughs> No, places. when you said that, I was like, not where I'd want to park exactly. up for a long period of time. Yeah, so they're often seen as places that are appropriate for development because people don't see them as very attractive, mm-hmm. but they're actually really essential for the bird survival, but for also for people as well because yeah. they do all sorts of stuff for us too. So it's really about shifting those perspectives of how we see those ecosystems and I think... The stories of migratory shorebirds are a really great way to do that. Yeah, lovely. So the love for birds came first and all your studies. And then kind of where did your love for aviation come from? Was it kind of something you always had the plan to do? You always wanted to be a pilot or when did you start a sort of start that journey? Yeah, 
So I've never had a dream to be a pilot. Really? No. I love that because everyone we've had in the studio has always said, oh, it's a bug you catch from a young age and, you know, you right. either uh, – for me, I was born and raised in the industry, so mm-hmm. becoming a pilot was just something I was always going to do. But, yeah. yeah, I love that because, yeah, everyone yeah. we've had has just said they wanted to do it from a young age. So, yeah, tell us a no. bit more. Uh, it's not something that I ever considered for myself and – when I was uh, doing shorebird conservation, I could see it was very difficult for the scientists and birdos who were working with these birds to do outreach, like okay. reach people outside of those communities. Mm-hmm. So I was really racking my brain about how to do that. And uh, I was at work one day. I, I was working at the University of WA in Perth. Mm-hmm. Nice. And one of my colleagues there was telling me how his brother flew a microlight and how it was pretty easy to learn to fly and, and cheap to get your licence to. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next day as I was driving to work, I, I literally just had this idea hit me out of the blue that I could learn to fly a microlight and follow the shorebirds on migration from Australia to Siberia. Wow. And I had no idea about, you know, what the challenge would be to do that, mm-hmm. but I just felt that I could do it if I decided to. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, it took me a few months of just sitting on that idea before I decided to book myself in for a TIFF. Mm-hmm. So Lovely. I that is, yeah, I, I always recommend to people, you know, yeah. booking in a TIFF. I know Naomi said on our podcast last week, she's, she said she never did a TIFF, but I highly recommend it. It is a great yeah. way to get your introduction into aviation. Absolutely. Yeah, so I uh, found a microlight school in York, which is mm-hmm. about two hours east of Perth. Uh, it's called it was called Sky Sports Flying School. It's on White Gum Farm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I did my trial instructional flight with Gordon, and I just got the flying bug really mm-hmm. hard, and that was it for me. I just wanted to fly all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've got to ask why a microlight? Mm. Yeah, because I have seen a couple of photos of these things, and to me, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Yep. Yeah. Why? Why did you choose that? Uh, I suppose. For me, I was thinking affordability, uh, but I mm-hmm. was also thinking uh, the microlight for me, like I had zero exposure to aviation prior. This is mm-hmm. the first aircraft I got in. Right, yeah. And I absolutely loved it. I loved that I was out in the open, mm-hmm. uh, in the air. Because it quite literally air. is just a seat. It's a powered <laughs> hang glider. It's a yeah. powered hang glider. So you have the hang glider wing with the three-wheeled trike base hanging underneath it and it's what we call weight shift aircraft. So mm-hmm. it is the base is like a pendulum underneath the wing and you do you have to push the wing left or right or forwards or back physically mm-hmm. to fly the aircraft. So I just love that feeling of being in the air and you can feel what the air is doing. You feel connected to mm-hmm. the medium that you are flying through. I just love that. Yeah. And I think... For me, there's that connection of uh, experiencing what it's like to be a bird, you know. That's what I was just thinking when you were saying that. I was like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's this – I've had people describe what I'm doing as like an act of empathy and I really like that because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm using this flight around Australia as a way to, uh, you know, connect with people with the stories of migratory shorebirds. So Mm -hmm. the adventure is really a hook to be able to do that so to be able to experience what it's like to be a bird and share that with people I think is is really what I'm trying to do and Mm -hmm. so you've got the open cockpit aircraft that's exposed to the elements like the birds and then you also have the fact that it's physical to fly just Mm -hmm. like flapping your wings and it flies at a similar speed to what the birds do as well Mm -hmm. so I cruise around at about 55 knots Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and we've got records of shorebirds flying up to 80 kilometres an hour on migration. That's so they're racing you. It's pretty fast <laughs> for a bird. Yeah. Uh, they can, they far outstrip me because they can fly for a lot longer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> before they have to stop and have a break. I'm like, You're me. like, guys, come on, we need to break here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured out it was, it's going to take me about a year mm-hmm. to do, which is the whole flight around Australia, mm-hmm. to do what a bar-tailed godwit can do in nine days. Because they can fly non-stop from Alaska back to New Zealand. Uh, They hold the world record for the longest non-stop flight, which is currently 13,500 kilometres non-stop in 10 days. That was one of my questions is what what bird goes the furthest. Yeah, so that's the Vartel Godwit. So, yeah, it's going to take me almost a year to do what they can do in 10 days. It's pretty epic. That is epic. Let's yep. dive a bit more into yeah, what actually is wing threads and this flight yeah. around Australia we keep talking about. So oh, yeah. yeah, what is your your main <laughs> goal with that? And yeah. I know, I mean, you said you're following these birds around, but yeah, kind of what what do you really want to achieve out of this flight, and why? Yeah, I suppose the why of wing threads. Yeah, sure. So it's it's getting back to what I was talking about before about shifting mm-hmm. cultural perceptions of wetlands mm-hmm. and our ecosystems, and I think. Uh, uh, I'm really passionate about environmental messaging as well. So I think there's a disconnect at the moment between Mm -hmm. people and the environments that we live in. We see ourselves quite often as separate to it. I mean, even just calling it nature is a way of saying that's separate to me. Yeah. Um, When we're we're really part of nature and we rely on these ecosystems for our health and well-being as well. So it's really about shifting that perception Wetlands do all sorts of things for us, like filtering our water and protecting our coast from erosion. You know, they provide us with food security mm-hmm. and uh, also a buffer against climate change. They are huge carbon sinks, more so than rainforests, in fact. And uh, they also only cover 7% of the total Earth's surface, and yet they're our number one source of fresh water. There's very little fresh water on the planet. So people tend to build and develop around you know river catchments and ecosystems and things like that so they're very very vulnerable mm-hmm. they're also being lost at a rate three times faster than rainforest wow so it's something that i think people aren't really aware of and as i said before you know they're often seen as unappealing places so let's mm-hmm. go and build on them yeah and uh it's essential that we that we protect them and i think that shorebirds that that migration is such a beautiful way to open the door to talking about that shift because their journeys are incredibly epic. They're they so are, inspiring. Yeah. It's, you can't hear a story about a shorebird and not go, whoa, that's amazing. And, you know, these birds, they follow a bird migration highway called the East Asian Australasian Flyway up to the Arctic and back each year. It's one of eight global flyways. Ours is the largest in the world. Mm-hmm. And the wetlands that they're stopping on on the way are like a chain with links in it. So they yeah. really... Is, need those links in the chain to be there to be able to complete those migrations mm-hmm. oh, flight there over. you go <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we what are we guessing oh gosh okay i'm gonna go with um Qantas to melbourne Qantas to melbourne that was a quick one all right i'm gonna be different i'm gonna go virgin to sydney okay let me get it up <laughs> let me get it up it's a fun little game hey it's fun hopefully this one's on here today oh there we go okay Qantas to Brisbane. Oh, I got half of it. You right. did get half of it. You get, what, that's a point and a half now. One and a half to you because we both <laughs> we got both the first got one right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Okay. 
So as I was saying, those those links in the chain need to be there for them to be able to complete that migration. So it really highlights how looking after our wetlands here at home can mm-hmm. have an impact on an international scale. That's a big deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I always say at the end of a talk or an event is that, you know, it's my dream that one day birds like Redneck Stints and Bartel Godwitz will be household names like pandas and orangutans and mm-hmm. koalas and that their wetlands are yeah. valued and protected. That's mm-hmm. really the goal. That's the goal. Awesome. And I suppose how how did you actually start it is my number mm-hmm. one question. I mean, from the planning process, I couldn't even imagine how that went and then to actually funding it. So tell us how you actually got Wing Threads up and going because mm-hmm. I'm sure there was some challenges along oh the way. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do we want to go into that? Sure. Um, so I, I first had my TIFF at the end of 2015 mm-hmm. and I began learning to fly in April of 2016. So that's seven years ago. So it's taken me seven years to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Thank you for highlighting that because I feel like you know, from an outsider's perspective, you often looked at look at things like this, and it's like, oh, they just had an idea and they got it up and going, no. and that's that's how it was. No, um, I think the way I approach this from the start was that I would sort of I call it following the lights. Okay. Yeah? So I didn't have any clue how I was going to get it up and going. I could just see that the first thing I needed to do was learn to fly. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing I needed to do was get a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, all right, well, I'll focus on those two things first. Those are two very big goals to focus on as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I and what I found is that you, you can see the first two lights in front of you. It's like walking into the dark and it's partially lit, right? Mm-hmm. So you follow the first light or two lights. And once you do that, you can see the next one and then the next one and the next one. So you constantly feel like you're walking into the dark and you're just going, I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but I'm just going to trust that the opportunity or the knowledge that I need to know is going to come my way as I start acting. So it's really important to start acting. You yes. Don't you, you don't need to have a plan for everything. And, and anything that I have planned on the way hasn't worked out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what did I do? I got my pilot certificate through RAOs, Recreational Aviation Australia. Mm-hmm. I got a scholarship from the 99s. Wonderful, yeah. And the Amelia Earhart Fly Now Scholarship. So that mm-hmm. paid for my flight training. And uh, in 2017, yeah, I went solo and got my certificate and passenger and cross-country endorsements. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I got introduced to one of the directors of Airborne Australia who run who, who make my aircraft, okay. my microlight. And uh, I my instructor actually suggested to him that I go and do work experience in the factory. Mm-hmm. So I went over to Airborne in September of 2017 and did work experience there in the factory helping to build and so service microlights. So you actually built... A bit of your plane that you fly in. Yeah. That's incredible. I did the two weeks work experience Mm -hmm. and um, after that they agreed to sponsor me. Okay, lovely. So I I quit my job and I sold everything I owned and I drove to Newcastle from Perth at the start of 2018 to just give this thing a crack and I thought Mm -hmm. I'll fly around Australia in 2019. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to work in the factory for six months and the boys at Airborne let me fly their aircraft free of charge so that I that could build my hours up. It's huge. Yeah. And during that time I got sponsorship from Peel Harvey Catchment Council, an anonymous donor. 
I crowdfunded a bit of money. They let me use my hours in the factory as credit towards the plane. And uh, they also did the plane for me at cost, so they made no profit from it. It was wow. huge. So, yeah, I got to help build my own aircraft. Isn't that amazing how many people just yeah. are in your corner? That is yeah. just incredible. Yeah, like you have a big idea and people go, wow, that's really cool. I want to help you do that and I want to be part of it. So I had my own plane and I was going to do a recce trip flying like um, – because you can, with the microlight you can take the wing off and you can fold it up and put it on your roof rack. And mm-hmm. then the base can go in a trailer. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's just crazy. Yeah, so you can drive your plane different places, set it up, go flying. <laughs> so I thought, I'll do that. I'll, I'll drive around the country and go flying at different places. Mm-hmm. But uh, I left in August 2018 from Nui, and my first stop was Kabulcha. Okay. And we set the plane up, mm-hmm. and I was shifting the trailer, and the jockey wheel wasn't latched in. And it collapsed and fell on my leg. Oh, my goodness. And I broke my leg. So three days into my recce trip, I had zero flying and a broken leg. And then I uh, had a couple of fundraising opportunities on the road, so in Broome and Darwin. So I decided to keep going with my friend with a broken leg. And um, those fundraising opportunities fell through. So when I got back around to Perth, I said to my mate, Phil, who was travelling with me, let's just stay here and I'll recover. But while I was staying at his place, I uh, slipped in his bathroom getting my crutches and I broke my wrist as well. Oh, my goodness. It was just one thing after the other. It was. And then um, my flying instructor, Gordon, passed away a week later. And it was just too much. And it, I yeah. could tell the universe was telling me it's not the right time. Mm-hmm. So I learned a hard lesson then because I was really trying to push and make things happen on my time. Mm-hmm. And I really learned that I needed to sit back and let things unfold. Yeah. So in 2019, oh. I, I decided to move back to Newcastle and uh, uh, got a job over there working for BirdLife Australia. And during that time, I got offered a, a children's book deal after I did a presentation at a bird conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was with CSIRO Publishing. And they wanted more female role models in STEM. So they wanted me to do Love that. And I thought I'd do the flight around Australia in 2020, but then COVID <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, I've had all these setbacks, yeah. but they've been opportunities as well mm-hmm. because they really gave me the extra time I needed to mm-hmm. build up my flying skills. And the pandemic gave me the time I needed to illustrate this book. Mm-hmm. So by the end of um, 2021, I had my own aircraft. I had a children's book I could take I with me. I need to on get a copy road. of that book. Yeah, I sure. need to see it. It's called A Shorebird Flying Adventure and it's um, Microlite Millie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, so I illustrated the book because mm-hmm. ba- that's my background in yeah, the arts. Uh, so yeah, you said that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and my friend Jackie Karen wrote it. She's a fantastic author. Um, so uh, I had the book and I, I just needed to crowdfund then to get the project off the ground. Quite literally. Um, yeah, literally <laughs> take off. So we crowdfunded last year. I started in February mm-hmm. and uh, I invited Costa Georgiadis to come flying with me in the microlight to help promote the campaign and he said yes. So That's he's since awesome. come on as an ambassador for the project. Wonderful. He's actually coming to Townsville next week. We're oh, going to cool. catch up on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so yeah, we managed to raise $78,000. Awesome. And uh, since fundraised another 30 odd thousand so Mm -hmm. it's just been putting things together 
at different times. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of patience, not giving up. Um, the way I funded most of my flight training and things like that was by house sitting. Mm-hmm. So when I was living in Newcastle, I, I mean, I've been nomadic. I've been house sitting and living on the road for five years. Mm-hmm. So not having to pay rent paid for my flight lessons. Yeah. So while I was in Newey, I also uh, learnt to fly a fixed wing. Mm-hmm. And I got my controlled airspace endorsement as well. Wonderful. And I did that at Pan Air Flight Training in Bathurst. So I got one of the Women in Aviation scholarships to mm-hmm. do that too. So you can see it's just lots of yeah. different things here and there. I've had to live quite flexibly and just take opportunities when they come and, and let things unfold. Yeah. That's how I put it together. Perfect. And so we've finally kick-started it. Yep. So where have you gone so far? Yeah, so I took off from White Gum Farm in June last year. Mm-hmm. I thought it would take me about six months to fly around the country, <laughs> but it's been really slow because, uh, well, that first few flight legs the first four flight legs took me almost three months because the weather in southwest wa was so rough and terrible Mm -hmm. i just got stuck at several several spots for about three weeks wow so i started crossing the nullarbor from esperance on august the 12th and since then it's averaged out to be about one flight per week Mm -hmm. Uh, so i've flown all around the southern coast of australia up to Townsville. From Perfect. Perth. And now you're yeah. here with us now, today. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I did have a break in Newey over Christmas because mm-hmm. I'm visiting schools and libraries on the way to yes, talk to yeah. kids about birds. And uh, it was, you know, school holidays, and I also didn't want to be up north in the wet season. Mm-hmm. What's the longest stretch you've done? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I fly through like maximum three hours before mm-hmm. I'll stop and have a break. Uh, but I might do two flights in a day. Mm-hmm. So the long, the most amount of hours of flying I've done in a day is about five. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yep. And can you give us some examples of these shorebirds? We've mentioned a couple, but what are some examples of them? Oh, yes, I mentioned the rednecks in the mm-hmm. Biotel Godwit. Uh, what else? There's 37 species here in Australia that migrate to mm-hmm. the Arctic and back. Uh, some of the others you might have heard of uh, include like ruddy turnstone. These are birds that you might find at the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh what else? I'm trying to think of things that you would have here in Townsville. I'm pretty sure you'd have Pacific Golden Plovers, mm-hmm. uh, um, Terex Sandpipers, Sharp-tailed Sandpipers. They've got all sorts of really funny names. Wimbrels. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite name? Like, what's the funniest one to you? Oh, funniest name to me. I think um, Dowichers, pretty cool. Asian Dowichers. <laughs> but you wouldn't have them here. They're quite rare. Um you usually find them around Broome and places like that. But okay. uh, they don't come, they're not too many of them come here. But, um, yeah, probably a Dowager. <laughs> I think they're pretty funny. Or Ruddy Turnstones, we often call Rudy Toonstones. <laughs> I like that or, one. Um, curly Sandpipers, we call Curly Sands. They make up names. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdy bird stuff. I like that. I yeah. like that one a lot. So let's go more in this process of your flight around Australia and the main, main thing, I guess, that us you know, just as people in the general public can learn from it and, you know, is there anything we should be doing to help these birds or, you Mm -hmm. know, making sure that, you know, they're okay and we're doing the right thing for the environment? Yeah, absolutely, Uh, definitely. So the main thing for shorebirds, as I said, is habitat loss. Mm -hmm. So understanding uh, why it's important to protect these habitats. So you can... Uh, get involved in citizen science. Mm-hmm. So there, 
BirdLife Australia, which is the organisation I also work for, uh, have a citizen science program called the Australian Shorebird Monitoring Program. And uh, you can get involved with some of the regional branches like BirdLife Townsville who go out to wetlands and count shorebirds. Mm-hmm. And you might think that that's really like lame thing to do, I don't know. but uh, it, Or you might be wondering how that can help. Mm-hmm. But the thing is... Uh, that's how we protect these wetlands. You cannot protect a wetland if you don't have evidence that shows that the birds are there in the first place. Yeah. So one of the big uh, things that we can do is have an area nominated as what's called a Ramsar wetland site. So Ramsar is a treaty that's an international treaty that recognises wetlands of international importance all around the world. And Australia has signed on to that treaty and it provides a certain level of uh, protection. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really highlights wetlands that have high biodiversity. So you could have uh, not just um, shorebirds there, but you have an, a range of different habitat types in that area, for example. Maybe you have uh, endangered mammals there as well as birds and and other invertebrates and amphibians and things like that as well. For the shorebirds, the criteria we look for are are there more than 10,000 birds present or are there more than um, 15 species or is there more than 1% of the entire population present at that site? Mm -hmm. That's a really big deal. So say there is um, 30,000 birds in the in our flyway mm-hmm. of a particular species, if you see three hundred of them at a site, that's one percent. So if we had a count of three hundred or higher, we'd say that that was an internationally significant count. So when you have those data and you can show that that this is happening over a long period of time consistently, mm-hmm. then if somebody puts in a proposal to develop an area, then you've already got the. Uh, the evidence that you need to mm-hmm. say this is not okay, we need to be protecting this site, it's a high mm-hmm. area of biodiversity. And when we're facing big challenges ahead of us with climate change and things like that, we it's essential that we're protecting our biodiversity mm-hmm. because uh, climate change is going to reduce the resilience of mm-hmm. ecosystems over time yep. and biodiversity is essential to protect that. Mm-hmm. And now I do have one question and... I mean, I'm no bird expert. That's why I've called you in today. (laughs) Now, you're following these birds around in an aircraft Mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, there is lots of aircraft activity around Australia. Do these aircraft, I don't know if this is just a question way out of whack, Mm -hmm. do they affect the birds in any way? Is, say, if we had one bird in a particular spot and you had an aircraft landing and taking off, you know, so many times a day or something next to these birds. Is that affecting them or mm-hmm. is they kind of, are they, you know, used to the aircraft because they've, you know, maybe the aircraft and the bird has been there so long? I don't know if that question re- even makes sense. No, or it does, yeah. yeah does it, I mean, if you're following them around and I suppose you're entering their space as well, I mean, I'm sure you've studied yep. if you're affecting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the birds are sensitive to disturbance. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like aircraft will disturb them. So uh, disturbance is a big deal for migratory shorebirds because if they are using their energy to fly away because they've been spooked all the time, then it's reducing their capacity to be able to get the energy they need to do those long-haul migrations. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, aircraft is something that will disturb them. It's why, uh, you know, another thing to be conscious of is uh, 
you know, flight patterns near wetlands and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, air, airports are often built near wetlands, again, because wetlands are seen as, you know, places that aren't going to be appealing for people to be near, so they mm-hmm. will put things out near near those areas. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, aircraft are definitely a, a thing. I'm not specifically chasing the birds myself with the aircraft. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I will actually avoid areas like that. I'll try and fly at an altitude overhead that's okay. not going to disturb them and things like that. Um, uh, and and I'm, I'm not going anywhere near them really in the aircraft. What I'm doing is flying a similar distance around Australia as what they do when they fly to the Arctic and back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if being mindful of them with mm-hmm. aircraft. I've actually run into a couple of truck pilots because... Uh, who have I've spoken to about that, you know, because people sometimes like to land on beaches or they like to do a bit of a low-level <laughs> flight along a beach mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, people have said, oh, do you want to do that with me? And I'll say, oh, I actually don't do that because uh, all the all the birdos would be very unhappy with me if I was doing that because mm-hmm. I'd be disturbing the shorebirds. And, and they will actually say, oh, oh, I didn't realise I was yeah, doing no, that. Yeah, that's actually interesting. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. there's no such thing as a silly question. I'm glad that wasn't no, a silly question. No, it's not question a silly question. No, I have, I have other pilots say, oh, I didn't realise I was doing that. Oh, I feel bad now. I'm going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, there is that awareness. Like when people, I believe, mostly want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. If they don't know what's there or what they're doing, what they're doing then Mm -hmm. how can they make a decision otherwise and I think that's so important as a uh, an environmental educator too is to not you know get stuck into people Mm -hmm. and criticize them before you actually you know give them the opportunity to uh, understand why it's important and uh, I believe that most people want to do the right thing yeah and so you can also have I suppose like seasons these birds are only here for seasons that's right so yeah so it would still be okay to fly around those areas then or yes they have less of an impact during our winter time so the birds are here uh, from October through to March we do still have small numbers over winter because the Mm -hmm. young birds it's usually birds in their first couple years of life will stay here until they're old enough to breed and then they'll start doing their migrations as well. Mm-hmm. So there's fewer numbers, so you'd have a lower impact. Uh, but, I mean, it's um, one of those things. It, I, I agree that it would be better for it to be a seasonal thing. Cool. And, and and not just aircraft too, like disturbance is a big thing for uh, people who take their dogs to the beach and have them off leash. So we encourage people to put their dogs on the leash, especially in the summer months, as we said before. Uh, But also for some of our resident shorebirds as well Mm -hmm. that don't migrate, they will be nesting here um, in the springtime as well. So it's important to keep your dog on a leash at the beach. And also things like jet skis and boats Mm -hmm. and uh, all the rest of it. So just being mindful of it, I think, is... The yeah. main main thing for people. Mm-hmm. I could honestly sit and ask you questions oh. all day, but <laughs> I don't think Robbie's going to let us do no. that. I wanted to end off with a couple of questions. So firstly, favourite place that you have oh, flown over so wow. far? Yeah, I think uh, there's been a few special places, but the Bundercliffs yeah. along the Great Australian Bight was oh. pretty magical. And like when I flew over the head of the bite, it was whale migration season. So it was like 50, 60 whales with their calves in the water. It wow. was amazing. Oh, and that would I have been saw a sight. So beautiful. And the water is so crystal mm-hmm. clear and blue. And I saw a southern right whale with a white calf. 
So that was pretty specky. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. can follow your journey. You do like um, a blog on your website, hey? So we can yeah. follow your journey on social media and your website as well. Yes, so my website's wingthreads.com. You can mm-hmm. find me on Facebook and Instagram at wingthreads. And I'm also on YouTube. So I've been cool. live streaming these flights from That's my awesome. plane. So I just put my – I've got a quad lock attachment on the wing of my aircraft so i just stick my phone on it and live stream from my phone oh, i know what youtube. i'm gonna be doing for the rest of the year then <laughs> if you catch me in the in the back storeroom just on my yeah. phone that's what it's, i'm doing it's very much slow tv <laughs> <laughs> from, from the oh, microphone i love that and yeah. any fun facts about birds you've already given us again a couple throughout today's episode mm-hmm. any any more fun facts to add before oh, we finish goodness. off there's so many fun facts about mm-hmm. migratory shorebirds. I think one of the amazing things that they can do, uh, well, I think one of oh, there's so many amazing things. <laughs> Your brain's just ticking. Yeah, there's a like, oh, all the things. Um, before they take off, like uh, they, some of them will almost double their body weight and size. Like they're putting on, tw- you know, going from like 20 grams to 30, 35 grams, those little redneck stints. They look like they swallowed a tennis ball <laughs> or something before they go. They're really fat. But to put on extra fat, they actually shrink their leg muscles and their gut. And their uh, chest muscle gets bigger for flapping their wings and so does their heart so that they can wow. pump more oxygen-rich blood. So they go through these really rapid physiological changes. Yeah, yeah that is insane. That's pretty cool. okay one more because i'm so interested (laughs) yep another fun fact one more one more all right Um, what else do they do well they also um will change color so we have uh what we call the non-breeding season which is when they're here in australia that's Mm -hmm. september through to march and they're Mm -hmm. mostly gray and brown and white and then they'll start to molt into these beautiful reddish colors in their feathers and uh they'll stay that way until about august and that's for camouflage uh, up in the tundra. So okay, I was going to think mating, yep. but it's mating camouflage. Mating as well. Okay. It's, it does get involved in mate selection, but mm-hmm. uh, it's mostly for camouflage because they nest on the ground mm-hmm. and there's uh, predators up there like owls and foxes and mm-hmm. uh, falcons, so uh, they just blend right in with the moss and cool. the lichen. It's pretty epic. Only one other little question that I've got is, what you're doing is so incredible. There's a lot involved as we touched, you know, with the planning process, the organising, funding, all that sort of stuff. Is it just you? I mean, obviously you're the only one in the aircraft, but, yeah. you know, have has anyone else been involved? Uh, it's mostly just me, but I have a ground crew who's helping me as well. So mm-hmm. uh, they drive my car and with the microlight trailer on the back. Uh, and I've had volunteers helping me for different legs of the flight. Mostly it's people... Uh, who drive my car from A to B and then someone uh, picks them up and drives them home, you know, they get a lift or I, uh, uh, or they meet me where I've landed mm-hmm. and uh, drive me back to my car so I can pick it up. I've also had pilots who will pick me up in their aircraft and fly me back cool. to my I car. I was thinking that. I was like, how is she getting to the podcast studio today? I was like, I yeah. probably <laughs> should have asked her, like, <laughs> if she's okay with the lift and I knew you were in Donington. I was like, yeah. how is she getting here? Like... Yeah, so that's how I've been doing it. So Mm -hmm. I've got someone with me now who's joined me from Rockhampton. They'll stay with me till Darwin. And then I've got other people who volunteer for the rest of the trip. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how I've been doing it. But it's mostly just me organising the hangarage and accommodation. Um, I'm the contact for all the school visits and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. 
So there's a lot of moving parts and uh, the cognitive load of that can be quite hard and so it's really essential that when it comes to the flying side of things that mm-hmm. I give myself the space around that to be able to focus. Yeah, so whilst it's only, you know, one one or two flights a week, there's so much groundwork That's to right. be done. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming in today. You are a busy woman on a mission. Yeah. So <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. And mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone else just like me would have a million and one questions to keep asking you because yeah. it's just incredible what you're doing. And um, like we said, yes, we can follow your journey on your website, Instagram, yeah. Facebook or Wing Threads. Yep. Wing um, threads. And You can follow aviatrix underscore Australia if you want to see more, I guess, I suppose. And I'm sure Millie can share a bit with us through our page too. And we'll Mm -hmm. keep supporting her through that. And in saying that as well, if you have got to the end of this podcast, thank you for listening. We are about to go into It's a You Problem, so don't turn it off just yet. (laughs) And um, I suppose even just five minutes to finish off by, you know, giving us a rating. One rating, taking five minutes out of your day to give us rating is another 15 minutes of podcasting that we can do and keep supporting you know people like yourself and stories of incredible aviatrix around Australia so yes I would really appreciate if everyone could do that and thank you so much I'm just I'm absolutely amazed it is a really interesting story thanks Georgie wonderful okay Millie is joining us for it's a you problem this week now Millie some of our life problems that the girls send in, we just find a kind of funny way to solve them. So <laughs> oh, let's see what you can solve All this right, week. I'll okay. Come up with. All right. I asked the girls on the Instagram today because I was a bit late to asking them. So thank you for everyone who sent them in. All right. We've got one and they said, <laughs> I always love what everyone sends in. It's my favorite part of the week. Someone said their dog keeps taking their socks off the line. Oh, no. Honestly, I can stand with you on this one because Miley goes into my – Miley is my little <laughs> poodle, um, Cocker Spaniel Cross Mini Poodle, and she goes – she has been really naughty lately and has been stealing socks, underwear, everything <laughs> out of, like, my basket <laughs> and room. And, I mean, the fix for that was I just closed my door. But still, sometimes she just sneaks in. So I can stand with you on this one and say the puppies are – they all must be going on strike at the moment. Everyone's <laughs> having this issue. How are we going to solve it? Well, it actually makes me think of some of the taste aversion uh, trials that, uh, you know, people have done in zoology, you know, with mm-hmm. animal behaviour stuff. So I, I know that with wombats at Wilson's Prom, they're having problems with them, like stealing people's food at campsites. Oh, really? Like yeah. So what they did, they uh, started putting out these uh, treats that were full of chilli. Uh, to see if they would be averse to the chilli. So I'm thinking maybe you can put some chilli in your socks. Chilli in your like, socks. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I do like that. I like <laughs> that problem solve. I don't know if I can top that. I can't mm. say it worked with the wombats, actually. The wombats oh, ate okay. all of the treats <laughs> with the chilli and they were quite happy to enjoy the chilli treats. So maybe your dog likes chilli too, but mm. I reckon you could give it a crack. Give it a crack, <laughs> yeah. Let's see see how the dogs take it. There's probably some vets and stuff listening like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Find out if dogs can do chilli first. <laughs> yeah, don't take our word for it. Like we always say, it's a you problem segment is always just for fun. Um, yeah. My problem solved for that... The dog must be quite tall or your clothesline is quite short because my dog can't oh, reach the true, clothesline. Yeah. Can, is it a hill's hoist? You can wind mm. it up high. That's true. Yeah. Mm. How do I solve this? 
Yours was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, how do I solve it? How do I solve it? Give them their own pair of socks. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, that's not as good as my problem. So for sure. <laughs> All right. Either put chili in your socks, see if the dogs like it, or give their dog, give your dogs their own pair of socks and they can wear them around. Clearly mm. they're just jealous. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for oh, ETU my pleasure, Problem. Yeah. Perfect. We'll see you next time. <laughs>